Love friends. My name is Scarlett Lewis. I'm the founder of the Jesse Lewis Choose Love Movement, and we offer no cost lifespan social and emotional learning uh, to teach everyone how to have healthy relationships, how to manage their emotions, how to grow through difficulty. That sounds like a good idea right now in the time of the coronavirus, right? How to make responsible decisions. Um, and more. Uh, all of these skills and tools are, are not something that we're born with. We have to learn. And um, this is a life's mission that I started following the murder of my six-year-old son at Sandy Hook Elementary School inside his first grade classroom in one of the worst mass murders in U.S. history, history perpetrated by a former student. So um, this is so important. It would have saved my son's life. It would have saved the shooter's life. And uh, it's been my personal life's mission over the last seven years since the death of my son to make sure that every, uh, at least every child has access to what are considered essential life skills that stay with the kids for a lifetime, as well as families and communities and now workplaces. And today we have an incredibly, incredibly special guest. Uh, he's special to me personally. He's special to the movement. Uh, he's a special person to the world. His name is Judd Cummings and he is a junior uh, in high school. He's 17 years old. He goes to high school in Maryland. And uh, he happens to be the son of a dear family friend, uh, family friends um, who were on my board of directors. And I love this because uh, we would sit around their kitchen table and talk about the issues that we saw in the world and how we were going to be part of the solution. We would be brainstorming and Judd would be sitting there with us. And this is you know, years ago. And, uh, and now Judd, uh, realizing, you know, that, that this, this big change in our society has occurred and he realized that this was, uh, the time for change. We're all outside of our comfort zone and that's when change occurs. We're there anyway, we might as well, um, push change along in a positive direction. And, and so welcome, Judd. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I'm so excited for you to be here. And here's, here's, uh, here's another reason why I'm so excited for you to be here, because I have to say that really uh, us adults have not done a tremendous job for you guys. I mean, as I was doing my research for this podcast, uh, I, I I literally went online and I Googled the um, major issues facing teenagers today. And by the way, they are the same issues that I faced when I was a teenager. Let's see, I'm 51, I think. So all those years ago, um, yet almost all of them have gotten worse. And so like that's a head scratcher because, you know, it's been decades now and we have identified the issues, right? We know it's not like we don't know what they are. We know what they are. And yet for the most part, they're all worse and some at epidemic levels. And so you have to wonder, wait a minute, <laughs> why is this? Right. And then here's another thing that I've learned now going around for seven years, right? Um, working in schools and in community. Um, and I've talked to the stakeholders, and that's administrators, educators, students, parents, et cetera, community members. And I feel like, and I want to get your opinion on this, Judd. I I feel like, and this might be hard for a lot of people to hear, but but you know, when I talk to teenagers versus adults. I feel like adults are more fear-based and I'm talking about myself too, right? So we're, we're more fear-based than teenagers and it's harder for us to get outside our comfort zone. 
Um, and the only time we grow is outside our comfort zone, by the way. Great ideas come outside our comfort zone, by the way. And it seems like we keep trying the same things over and over and expecting a different result. And I think it was somebody that said that that was the definition of crazy. Oh, yeah, it was Einstein. He's a pretty smart guy. So I kind of, and I feel like when I talk to teens, they just have this fresh perspective. And it is much, it's it's not fear-based. And it just, it's, it's different. So I'm just so happy that you've joined us today to kind of give us a little bit of that uh, courageous kind of viewpoint and help us figure out how to move forward. I mean, how to take advantage of this pause that we have in our lives, which is unprecedented. <laughs> and, and we can actually create the world that we want to live in right now. It's actually really exciting. But Judd, I'm not sure that the adults, and you know, I'm using arrows now, um, have the ability to do that. What are your thoughts about everything that I've said? Well, I think that when you're mentioning the pause about coronavirus, I recently wrote a English paper that was quite like it was asking us about it was supposed to be a creative final project about how has COVID-19 affected you and your family? And, you know, we were able to write a paper. We were able to record a video. There were plenty of different things that we could do, but I decided to write a paper. And as I was thinking and I was jotting everything down, I found that there were much more positive things, especially for teenagers that came out of COVID-19 than we were even considering. There were a lot of, there, there were a lot of things about, you know, we are able to have less anxiety. We're able to focus more on our own problems within our families, within our social communities. And we're able to spend a lot more time reflecting on what's been going on in the year. How can we improve it? How can we keep it going? And, you know, I'd say that the pause with COVID-19, not only has it affected the planet in positive ways, like environmentally, yeah. it's also affected us on the individual level. There's definitely negative aspects of it as well, but there's a lot of, a lot of people emphasize the negatives of COVID-19 and no, no people really look at it as a positive pause that helps us to recover from the stress of our everyday lives. You know what? And I always talk about negative bias and how we focus on the negative. And thank you very much for pointing that out because I think I'm doing that <laughs> in this time because I, I have been thinking about all the problems that we came into this pause with and how it's really kind of drawn the curtain back on them and then trying to figure out how to solve them. And I really haven't thought about how this time could be beneficial for us. So thank you for bringing that up right at the beginning. See, right, right away. <laughs> it's a fresh perspective. I, I really appreciate that. And I know about our negative bias and our, our um, propensity to be negative. And I'm, I'm sitting here doing it anyway. So thank you for that. You're exactly right. Now, one of the things that you just mentioned um, is less anxiety. And, you know, anxiety is one of the epidemics that I was talking about. Um, there, there is, and I can't remember the, um, the actual, um, citation, but the, there are 49 and a half percent of our U S youth that will have had a diagnosable mental illness by the time they're 18 the majority of that diagnosis is anxiety and between 70 and 80% of kids don't get professional help. So they suffer alone. And then the long-term outcomes of anxiety are exactly all the issues, really, literally almost all the issues that we see in school, including violence and substance abuse and, uh, and other mental illnesses um, and bullying. And then that translate 
you know, into adulthood because nothing stops when we graduate if we don't get help. And so anxiety is a real issue. And I had been talking to adults who um, had been very concerned that the pandemic was going to increase kids' anxiety. Um, And by the way, uh, especially teenagers who uh, can't see their friends and friends are a big part of teenage life who also are the isolation, the fact that they can't take part in their activities, um, athletics, graduation, uh, college visits. I mean, things like this. Um, but you brought up the positives, which I love. And so what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that, you know, the problem that we have with societies around the globe, especially in the U.S., is the fact that we have we have ideals that are based around the final product. It's based around having so much work to do, so little time to do it, Mm -hmm. and there's so much on the line depending on how you execute all of your tasks. And, you know, that you can also, like, especially on the teen level in schools and colleges, there's a lot of stress about your friend group, about how you're interacting with others. And there's so Mm -hmm. much that's on the line. There's so much that you need to handle correctly in order to, you know, have as little stress as you possibly can. And... The problem, the problem is, is that there's a lot of anxiety around that. And that's, you know, like you said, there's a lot of students that are diagnosed with anxiety disorders and mm-hmm. general anxiety and numerous other mental health issues. And um, the thing about something like the Choose Love curriculum is something is it's going to give us something that will allow us to treat everybody else fairer because we live in a society where everything is treated about how are you able to handle your stress? How much work do you have? Mm -hmm. How much work are you able to do at one time? And there's no real consideration of who that person is, what they're going through. And, you know, there's no real consideration of who that person genuinely is. And I feel like that we need, we definitely need something that's going to allow us to look at people differently. Yeah. So in a more compassionate and empathetic way, do you agree? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. And that is what Choose Love teaches. Um, I I totally agree. That's a really, really good point. So, you know, when looking at my list, when I was online, uh, really the number one thing I'm searching through all of these, uh, these different websites, the number one thing, of course, is always comes down to wanting to love and be loved and uh, with the self, obviously, but then also it's such an important thing to, to belong, to feel like you're part of something beyond your family and a community. And I think that maybe COVID-19 has helped us all realize that, um, you know, I'm always saying we all want to love and be loved, but we all feel pain and suffer. And yet we're all susceptible to this virus. And it actually is, I think, a unifying thing because we realize that we're all in this together. I mean, you know, you drive down the road and you see all of these signs saying, you know, thank you. So expressing gratitude and saying, we'll get through this. Um, people are using chalk on their driveways and putting things on trees and renting billboards. And I love that because, you know, that is exactly what we want to see in a time like this. Yeah, that's exactly what I, you know, when I mentioned that English paper, you know, what I mainly wrote about was also the idea that when you are, when you are taken out of a place where there are people that, you know, it gives you a real moment to realize that there are a lot of people that you didn't really know as well as you thought. And there's a, you know, there's also an idea about there's plenty of college students that are being forced to come back to their homes. And it gives a real sense of family unity. It's, um, it's that idea that, you know, there are, when you, when you introduce, a society when you introduce I say the word society a lot I probably need to switch up my words but 
when you introduce a global population to um, a large issue, whether it be a pandemic like COVID-19 or something political, there's a real sense of unity that you wouldn't really associate with problems mm-hmm. like that. There's a lot of people that are being united together and there's, there's family unity when you have, when you have people that are well, like an entire family that's stuck in one house, you're really forced to understand those people than you ever thought you knew them. And it really gives you, you know, for, for people who have college bound siblings, those people are able to come home and you're able to see them again more than you thought you ever would. Yeah, you're right. And that's, and really get to know them. And so that is um, fulfilling that need to belong within a family for those who have, you know, relatively healthy, loving, connected families. And then I guess COVID is, is also something that we can almost like be a part of in a larger community sense, because it impacts all of us. And, and so that is a unifying thing, actually. And it has been, and we've seen that. And, and that's actually, a, that's a positive. Um, one of the other things that uh, I think was an issue for me, and it was an issue definitely for both of my boys, Um, and I, and I, I know that I've had other people tell me that it's an issue is lack of positive role models and mentors and heroes. I mean, you know, sometimes you could even have a role model that you don't know, um, that, you know, that you hold up in high esteem and that you want to be like, and that you admire and respect, their character and their values. Um, I think it's harder today because of social media and sides that people and the relative anonymity of social media. So somebody might have a role model, but at the same time, you've got maybe uh, somebody else that's trashing them, you know, or accusing them of something. I, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts about that? Well, I think that you hit social media right on. I think that, you know, the problem with social media is that it's used plenty of times to, I think that social media is one of the more misunderstood things of my generation because, you know, a lot of it is really intended to enforce social connections and to help people connect with each other in ways that they thought they never would. But then at the same time, there's plenty of issues with social media because it really forces you as a user to comply to a very strict set of values that are given by the people around you. And it's kind of, it's kind of like a, like a cookie cutter. Like you, if you are exposed to social media, you are shaped in ways that maybe you maybe help you or hurt you, but it's kind of this idea of, you know, what is the social norm? What is the, what is the value of other people around you? And you're kind of forced to follow those. Well, it's like if you post something and then you get all of these different comments and people, I think it's so much easier to say, you know, from, you're not, facing somebody. So like, so, so much easier to say, oh, that's stupid. You're stupid. You know, like, uh, and so you're getting all of these negative comments. You may get positive comments too. So are you saying that you think that the feedback that you get from social media helps shape you and maybe not in, maybe in positive, but maybe in negative ways? Is that what you're saying? And then there are, are you saying like the groups that you belong to on social media? Well, there are plenty of ways through social media to connect with many of your of the friends that you have and hold close to you. But there's also many of issues, like you said, with you know this idea of you know negative values that you don't that you don't want or shouldn't have. And I also, you know, I should probably also mention the idea that social media. I don't know if I would call it 
an addiction for some people, but it's kind of this idea. I think you can call it an addiction. Yeah, because it can be seen as an addiction because it's kind of this idea of needing attention. Like it's it's this idea that you're posting something and you want to know what people are thinking about it. And you kind of I would say that, you know, in the times that I've used social media, it's almost like you're kind of. I don't know if this is a correct term or not, but you're kind of testing the waters with what you see as right and wrong in a sense. And you're seeing if who you are matches other people or if you're completely different. And so there are plenty of times that I've, you know, I've posted something and then I've constantly been checking back to see what are people saying about it? What is going on? Like, how is this being received? And, you know, it really gives a message to me about this is kind of what social media does to people in the long run because I infrequently use Instagram and only Instagram and I find myself kind of needing an attention that I probably can go without. Yeah. Oh, that's really, that's interesting. And, and brave of you to admit. And it's funny because if I post something on Twitter, I check back too. So how many people have seen it? How many likes? Do I have any comments? Do I have any retweets? I don't often tweet. Um, Usually my team does. But if I do, I will actually check back, which is really funny. Um, So I have a little bit of that, too. I think I'm definitely addicted to my phone because when I can't find it, I freak out. So that is just the phone. Um, And uh, but but I guess maybe we associate phone with connection. But I, you know, what I do know is that on social media, when you get the likes um, or comments, um, if they, I guess if they're positive, you get a hit of dopamine. And dopamine is a feel-good neurochemical. And so you want those likes. You want those positive comments. You want that reassurance because it feels good. But that in itself can be addictive and then that can lead to other addictions. Yeah, that's that's exactly what it is. Like I I have seen in the past I've seen a lot of I've seen a lot of problems among you know people that I have or haven't known and you know, I have no idea whether or not it is or is not connected to social media, but I feel like that social media would have a major play in what that is because it's almost like a social norm about what is or what isn't trending or what is or what isn't it's it's all an idea of what is current and what isn't yeah i would say so um so i started this whole idea off by talking about mentors and i know that you've been able to find mentors in your life? I mean, did your parents find them for you or did you find them? I think it's kind of been a mix of both. I've found, you know, my parents have introduced me to people that I've looked up to. There's also been, you know, plenty of athletes or plenty of, you know, like as a, as a devout Christian myself, I find myself, you know, looking up to um, a lot of pastors who know yes. the message of God. Yeah. I love that. And by the way, I just spoke to one of your mentors, Milton last week and, you know, just a really good, solid person who, who legitimately cares. And when I meet somebody like that, it, it literally takes my breath away because That, I think it's all about, I don't want to make it too simplistic, but I think a lot of it is about legitimate caring, right? And, and he does care. Feel that they respond in such positive ways in so many different ways. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I, probably want to start with defining Mm -hmm. who a mentor is to me. I find that, you know, my generation kind of focuses on, you know, the possibly fake side that's supposed to be good in their life. And a lot of social media, as you've mentioned, is fake and it's not entirely real, or maybe it is real, but only at certain times. 
And, you know, the kind of people that I want to look up to in my life are the people that, like you said, are going to be real with you, that are going to care about you, and that are going mm-hmm. to work with you all the time. Um, in fact, there is a there is a um, a college wrestler that I've been watching, this uh, guy named Nick Suriano, who wrestles at University of Rutgers. And I find that, you know, when I look at who he is, he's somebody who is real, he's somebody who wants to work, and he's somebody that's inspired me in my sport. And I find the Mm -hmm. same thing in Milton. I find the same thing in a lot of people who do sports. And there's also a lot of people that simply just want to be real with you and that want to see you for who you are Mm -hmm. and how to make Mm -hmm. improvements. That's a really good point, Judd. I think that we all want to be accepted and loved for who we really are. And I think, a, I think a fear and I, and I'm, I'm talking, you know, thinking back, um, when I was a teenager, I, I'm not sure that I was my real authentic self. I mean, maybe to some of my friends, but I know a lot of times, uh, I spent a lot of time trying to fit in and be the kind of person that I thought the people around me were. And it was, it was, it was, I don't, I think I only realized it when I became um, less caring about what other people think about me. So maybe it boils down to that. Like, I think maybe when you're a teenager, you care more about what other people think of you. And then when you're an adult, you're just like, for the most part, I am who I am. And you're more of yourself. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, that's, that's kind of exactly right. There's plenty of instances where you are looking for the attention of others and you are trying to get approval from other people for what you do. And I'm sure that based on what you're saying and what I've heard from my parents, the real, I guess, for lack of a better term, the enlightenment that you find is when you are willing to accept who you are and willing to work from that perspective. Like, it's just knowing that when you are, when you are trying to find the approval of others, you are trying your best to make everything mm-hmm. look as great as possible. And you're spending a lot of time on really small things that aren't going to make that much of a difference. But when you realize that, you know, there are, you know, the people that you're trying to find attention from are, they either straight up don't care. They already love you for who you are, or they're just not even paying attention at all. And from that regard, you just need to accept yourself for who you are and just work the way that you are. And that's when you find true, I guess, enlightenment of yourself. I I totally agree with you, Judd. I just did this Zoom interview with this kid. He was 14 years old. His name is Trey Sean from the UK. It was the best interview that I've ever had in the last seven years um, by a 14-year-old, I might add. Um, This gets back to what I was saying in the beginning, you know, uh, kids thinking outside the box and being creative. Um, I loved it. And he asked me a really great question. He said, if you could go back right now, what is the one thing that you would tell your younger self, the most important thing you would tell your younger self? And this directly leads to what you just said. And I had to think about it, but I said, you know, I think that looking back, I made so many decisions based in fear. And this, I think, is also reflected in the amount of anxiety that we see in kids today, but so many decisions based in fear, um, starting from a teenager, like in, in relationships, um, and then moving into maybe my, my, my university choice, and then um, relationship choices my employment choices, they were all made out of fear. Almost every single one. I mean, every single one. And so I would go back and I would tell my younger self, make your choices out of love. Make them out of love. Uh, Love yourself and 
aware of what my gifts and talents were. And I would have been able to find relationships and work that were con more conducive to what I loved instead of you know trying to fit myself where I really didn't belong. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, know exactly. I think that that's something that the choose love movement teaches because it's all about, it's not all about love. It's, it's really all about character and social and emotional development, but these are all things that have to be taught. And it is about learning how to be courageous and make choices from a base of courage. And that is so vitally important in everything that we do throughout our lives. Um, obviously, in goodness and compassion and action, so, so important. Um, but so let's, okay, let's move on. Um, what, what you, why don't you talk about something that you see that's an issue and how you think um, we could do things differently to help solve it? Well, I think that one of the main things, I don't see it very often in my school, but I definitely know that it exists, is this idea of <laughs> bullying in schools. And, um, you know, I think that you've probably, it's already one of the core, core missions of the foundation or the movement to, you know, eliminate bullying. But I find that one of the main things about bullying is kind of, in a sense, you know, there's been like the long time saying about people who bully mm -hmm. are already feeling insecure about themselves. But I think that the main thing we need to focus on is why are those kids feeling insecure? And what do we need to do to allow them to feel better about themselves? And if, if they're not feeling insecure about themselves and they're really just people that want to be superior to others, then what do we need to do to allow them to treat people more fair? And I think that to do that, we just need to introduce people to the idea that, you know, you need to love yourself mm -hmm. for who you are, as we've been talking about. And, you know, how we're going to do that is, you know, not, you know, you don't need to take yourself off of social media. You don't need to, you don't need to, to approach your friends differently. You don't need to do any of that. You just need to, you just need to decide for yourself that you are, you are mm -hmm. great as the person Except you yourself. are. And yeah. And you know, the fact is that you can get through your schoolwork. You can go to the college that you want to, and you can be a successful human being. Um, you know, if you are treating yourself more fairly, I, I've had a lot of realizations in my life that I realized if I'm trying to do something for other people, it's not as successful as when I try to do it purely for myself and my love for that. Like I found many times that, uh, I've run in cross country races. I've noticed that when I try to run for other people around me, whether that be my parents or for, you know, my friends, I find that I have much slower times than I would when I run. That's so interesting. Cause don't you think that when you're doing and it for others, it's a fearful place. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. I, I know that many people would, you know, see running and making the world a better place, not really significant to each other, but it really is. It's just this idea of, you know, what does it mean to build yourself for yourself and to build yourself in the eyes of others? Because if you build yourself for yourself, you know exactly what you want, exactly what you need, and exactly what you need to be to be successful in your own eyes. But when you build yourself in the eyes of others, you only see what others want. And you realize once it's done that you have nothing that you And that it's not really want. you. Bam, yeah, that's mic exactly drop. That is, that is brilliant, Judd. You, you hit the nail on the head, I think. And I want to take that bullying thing that you said about insecurity and add to it because 
bullies are definitely insecure. And by the way, um, that's child bullies and adult bullies because there's just as much bullying if not more that goes on in adulthood than uh, as childhood. Um, but I want to add to that, that bullies are also in pain. We know that hurt people hurt people. And the, and you're right about the choose love movement. I mean, I, I have said that Jesse died in the ultimate act of bullying which is having a student come back to where he went to elementary school and gun down as many, you know, innocent kids classrooms as possible and then kill himself. Um, that's the ultimate act of bullying. Um, but if you look at his life, he was in a tremendous amount of pain. He was neglected throughout his life and bullied. And so you can even understand how he got to where he is. It's not rocket science. Um, hurt people hurt people. So, but rather than repeat what we've been doing over and over, which is focusing on the bully, making sure that everybody knows what a bully is, um, creating state laws about bullies, we actually teach this, <laughs> teach what it really is that hurt people, mm -hmm. hurt people, and they don't know how to have relationships because I'll tell you something, Judge, do you agree with me that bull would rather be having a good time with their friends? I mean, they just don't know how yeah. they're just in pain, don't know how to deal with their pain. They're trying to off put their pain onto other people. They think by, you know, being treated the way that they've been treated, that it's going to somehow give them relief and they find that it's not. And then that makes them angry and they would much rather be peaceful and, and, and having a lot of fun, as Jesse would say, with friends than they would, you know, being bullies. And I mean, it's just so obvious to me. And so that is the philosophy that we use at the Choose Love Movement. But I mean, we need to start thinking about these things differently in order to expect a different result. Mm -hmm. Do you agree? And I totally agree. guess what? Like, I... I thought seven years ago when I started this movement that, you know, here's this thing called social emotional learning. It has decades of research. It helps kids get better test scores, attendance, graduation rates, less stress and anxiety, less behavior, less bullying. And then later in life, because these skills and tools will stay with you throughout life, less substance abuse, less incarceration, less mental health issues, even less divorce. I thought, wow, well, my market in Sandy Hook, so, but this is fair. No child should be priced. We know how important this is. This can save lives. This can transform and save lives. So, so that's why for me, it had to be no, I thought, oh, well, and this, this actually reduces and prevents all of these issues that that uh, we could be talking about today, that's acceptance, that's uh, negative body, obesity, uh, academics, peer pressure, social media, violence, um, risky sex, like all this can be reduced and by, prevented by social emotional learning. So I'm thinking, oh my God, well, I'll just the best of the best program, include all of it, and then go out and give it away for free. And then guess what I found, Judd? I, it's not that easy. The other half of my job would be to cultivate the courage that it took to do things in a different way, to not focus on the issues, but to be more preventative. And, and social emotional but it's just a slightly different way of thinking and it takes courage. But here is the amazing thing of the pandemic. Um, 
and and actually leading up to it. So within the last seven years, now be right pandemic social emotional learning was a buzzword it was the headline and all the educational uh uh conventions and everybody knew it less than 10 percent of u.s schools were doing it in the right way um and now bam and we're trying to figure out now how are kids going to reintegrate into school or how are we into life and I have to tell you, Judd, I'm looking at the um, recommendations for kids coming back to school. And I literally, I literally got teary, um, teary eyed, like the buses. It's one kid per seat, every other seat. This, the desks are going to be spaced six feet apart, front and back. There's going to be no recess, no cafeteria. Lunches are going to have to be in box boxes eaten in the classroom. One teacher, uh, you're going to have to have your hallways taped off so that everybody's six feet apart all the time. I'm just reading this and I'm going, wow, um, this is this is difficult. And we're going to have to address reentry, which we're doing right now at Choose Love but here's the thing it is such an amazing opportunity and a necessity now we've gone from oh this social emotional learning thing well we kind of know that we should do it but you know it's it takes effort and you know a tremendous amount of training for our educators for the most part because by the way if you didn't learn these skills and tools when you were young you don't necessarily have them when you're an adult and by the way we have to practice them all the time uh and so it was kind of a quandary now it's going to have to be something that we focus on because there's been a tremendous amount of change. People are fearful of change and we'd rather be in our growth zone. Now we're all outside of our growth zone, which is kind of a good thing because that's when change occurs and it can be changed for the positive. We can go back into schools that now focus on social emotional learning and their kids' mental, physical, and emotional wellness. That have to focus on. Because by the way, and it's not rocket science, when we have that with kids, when we focus on that, then the grades and academics come. But those needs, those essential needs need to be met first. What are your thoughts about going back to school and what it's going to look like and kind of like what I've been calling our brave new world? Uh, well, you know, what I would have to say about that is that, you know, I'm going to be kind of honest. I enjoy uh, distance learning. Well, I have to be honest. I, I enjoy, you know, I find, I also enjoy the, the change because I was traveling all the place and now I get, like, I gave five webinars yesterday all the way into the night, but they're from my office. I mean, I'd have to be on planes in hotels and driving and <laughs> it's just, it's way easier for me. So, okay, sorry. I had mm -hmm. to, I had to add that. Go ahead. <laughs> no worries. Um, so I think the first thing that I have to say is that my mom has begun to tell me now that, you know, with COVID-19 and social distancing and, you know, distance learning, school is no longer about studying, but it's now about actual learning and about possessing a need to learn what they're teaching you and not, you know, not having to retain everything and the need to study for a final exam or an AP exam, but it's now about retaining the information that you're learning because you genuinely, uh -huh. yeah, sorry, you genuinely want to know about it. And I think that when you compare that to the, you know, the regular school life, when you have some kids that are, 45 minutes away from campus and they, they've got tests, they've got papers. It's really stressful because you're more focused about having notes out and trying to learn, you know, so you can get an A on your test and you can have the 4.5 GPA and go to the college that you want to. 
but when you have distance learning, mm-hmm. you genuinely want to learn, and you're not you're not stressed. At least I'm not. I'm not stressed. I enjoyed distance learning. Obviously, COVID's been hard for me because I haven't been able to interact with people nearly as much as I've wanted to. But at the same time, it's allowed me to be much less stressed when it comes to actual. So less stress with school. And I think that I have heard that the online. Um, But the social aspect is something that's going to have to be addressed. I mean, we are social beings. We are wired to connect with one another and we need connection. So how do you think we can address that going forward when you hear that, you know, you're either going to be online or you're going to be in a classroom with desks that are six feet apart with no cafeteria, no recess. Uh, I'm sure athletics are going to be held differently as well. I saw a football workout the other day and all the guys were six feet apart. So um, how would you address that? Well, you know, as far as athletics go, as a as a wrestler, that's yeah. really hard for me. Yeah. But um, the social aspect, the people that I know and want to talk to, I've done my best to connect with them online. But, you know, when it comes to athletics and people like me who need who need like athletic practice and who need to be able to, you know, not just run around the neighborhood – but also be able to engage in the sport that they're dedicated to. It's a really hard, it's a really hard and controversial topic. And there's kind of no real yeah. answer to it at the moment. But um, you know, there's a lot of there are a lot of different solutions, such as slowly opening the economy and completely opening the economy and not opening it for another two years, or there's so many different ones. And I have I honestly have no idea how this is going to turn out. Yeah. What's your opinion on opening the economy? I'm curious. Um, you know, my, what I believe is that, you know, I definitely think that, you know, in the case that there are so many countries and so many places that rely on having thousands of people coming in and out of the cities and towns, there's definitely a need to reopen the economy everywhere because, you know, we rely on markets and corporations and we rely on an operational economy. But at the same time, I don't believe anything is ever yeah. going to be the same. Like, I, I don't know if – I really don't know how business is going to work or how agriculture is going to work in the future. Yeah, I know there are lots of questions that uncertainty has really been difficult for a lot of people to handle. Um, Judd? Before we go, I have to ask you about safety, uh, physically and psychologically, uh, in, in schools. Um, now, obviously, a lot of what we do is, it is actually addressing safety. I know um, that's kind of hard to imagine with our name, Choose Love. But we are cultivating safety from the inside out of every child. Um, Kids that can get along, uh, know how to have healthy relationships, are connected, uh, can manage their emotions, can grow through difficulty and and make responsible decisions are not going to want to harm themselves or others. And so... Um, we're kind of coming from safety from a different way, not the external safety measures, but the internal safety measures. And now we know um, that we need both. But what are your thoughts on safety uh, in schools? Um, Were you concerned about it? And um, what do you think it's going to look like going forward? Well, you know, I definitely find when it comes to safety, especially social safety, my generation is very, like, it's very liberal and progressive. There's a lot of people that are trying to explore new territories when it comes to social change. And there's a lot of, you have a lot of people that are, you know, very 
relationship yeah. about politics and you have a lot of people that are, you know, you have politics on one end and you have other people that believe in certain reforms of the country. And there's other people that just don't care at all. And there's such a wide range of, such a wide range of different people that, you know, maybe has never been seen before. And social safety is definitely a complicated issue because there's so many people that you have to meet at least halfway. But I feel like that something like social emotional learning is the exact answer you need because, you know, if people are just simply able to treat each other better, then you don't have a lot of issues. You don't have people that are willing to hurt themselves either fatally or not. You don't have people that are willing to hurt others for their own perceived benefit. And you have simply just a better society where people are more willing to help each other. Because especially in the U.S., we have a world that's very focused on competition. And it's very focused on, you know, we've seen in history, we've seen a lot of things about, you know, monopolies and huge trusts, you know, people like Rockefeller and Carnegie, people that are willing to show themselves as superior over their field of industry and their field of business. And there's a lot of, you know, people don't care if other people go out of business, if their business is going to work better than others and they're going to be successful with it, it's not going to matter. But in the case of something like, and of course that's not a good thing because that leaves them successful and it leaves other people without jobs. Like many are finding themselves in with COVID-19. But if we had a more socially engaged population that was more concerned with the health of themselves and others, you would have a lot more cooperation in business. And I would, I definitely say that, you know, I brought up the example of competition in business. That's definitely something that an economy needs in order to stimulate, you know, the, the value of products. But there's also the fact that this competition gets so high that people are willing to ruin others lives for their own benefit and if we had and you know you can apply that to a lot of different scenarios in our world and if you had a more sound social community you would have people that are more willing to help uh, that is others. a fantastic point judd and that is exactly why based on popular demand, we have moved into the workplace because social, socially and emotionally intelligent employees are more productive, they're more creative, they're more innovative, they're more flexible, um, they're just all around um, better workers and uh, they add value to the bottom line ultimately but also they make the work environment a better place. They have less social issues and they're healthier, uh, really physically, mentally, and emotionally. So um, just all around, like I can't get away from social and emotional intelligence being a solution for almost anything. And of course, I thought that before COVID-19. And now I think it's just become even more essential and poignant. And now that we're all out of our comfort zone, I think, and and searching for solutions, um, it's right here. And I think that now is the time. And it's kind of, it's really exciting Um, You started out this whole podcast on a positive note, which was exactly what I, 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 I expected, but, um, but you, you, you um, kind of made me realize that I was uh, coming from a negative place. And I really appreciate that Judd. Um, And I know that we can grow through this pandemic, um, this is actually—I mean—and I'm not downplaying the, uh, the the loss that people have experienced and and the anxiety and uncertainty and fear that's out there. But at the same time, there is a tremendous opportunity for growth. What are like if you had 
three places where you think that it's going to grow, there's the most opportunity for growth, what would those be? That's kind of a big question that I'm lobbing at you at the very end, but I'm just curious. It's a blank slate. So it really is a blank slate right now. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, in terms of what COVID-19 can change for us positively, I think that I think that isolation is going to make people realize how much they've been, I guess, taking, I don't know if taking social interaction for granted is the right word, but kind of realizing how many people they know and how, how their knowledge of them is shallow. And it's going to allow people to realize, you know, that there are certain individuals that I haven't known very well that I'm going to have to know better whenever this all ends. And, you know, just a general understanding of, you know, what a single individual means and like what individuality is. So uh, uh, a much more, uh, a bigger appreciation of how important social interaction is and how important we are to each other. Right. I love that. Okay, that's one. Mm-hmm. I would say that what how COVID-19 is going to change us positively is like I've mentioned, you know, all throughout mm-hmm. the podcast is anxiety. I think that all around the world, anxiety has been a major yes. major issue for a lot of people and it it's caused just a lot of problems. It's caused a lot of divisions with friends and with family. And I think that now that we have Mm -hmm. the time to completely pause everything and just realize you could realize how much you've been working and how much, how much of the stuff is unnecessary that you've been doing. And it starts to give you an understanding of what do I really need to do? What's not necessary. And you know, how can I improve my situation? And I think with, you know, the end of, with the end of school and the end of, you know, professional jobs, employers and employees and teachers and students are going to realize, you know, we are being, we are receiving too much for us to handle or we're giving Mm -hmm. too much for students or employees to handle how can we reform this and how can we make life better for everybody? That's awesome. I love that. Okay. That's two. What's three. I think, you know, this is probably going to be a much deeper point, but this is something that I've reflected about, which is reflection about the year and reflection about the people in your life and, you know, how everybody Mm. has affected you and what they've meant for you. You know, that might sound really vague, but I think, you know, to, um, you know, to emphasize on that, I've had a couple people that have a couple people that I know well, or don't know well, you know, Mm. that have lost their lives to COVID and, um, you know, it helps me to realize and to think about, you know, there's also, you know, I don't think that I want to talk about it way too much, but I had a friend of mine who died this year. Uh, we don't know why. And um, the the school hasn't given too many details on it. But, you know, having, you know, the the end of everything and the pausing of our society really Mm -hmm. helps me to take a moment and pause because, you know, something that I wrote about in, again, this English paper that I'm going to keep going back to is that, you know, the true meaning of reflection is helping you to turn something that you've lost, whether that be a person or something that you valued to reflect on it so that it becomes not something or someone that 
you can't have anymore, somebody that you can't see anymore, and turn it into a gift that changed you for the better that you couldn't be without that. And um, I would have to say that with reflection, it really gives you a moment to realize what is everything that's led me to this point? And am I going in the right direction or am I going in the wrong direction? And I think that that's probably one of the least recognized points. But at the same time, I think that's going to be the most significant value in what's going to most likely kickstart our economy because people are realizing, you know, when it comes to employment and profession, you know, what am I doing correctly? What am I doing efficiently? What could I improve? And, you know, for other people, it's who is important in my life? How am I interacting with them? And then how could I improve my relationship with them? And I think that, you know, when you are in the middle of a chaotic lifestyle where you are working a, you know, high maintenance job is that you're, you're so focused on what you're doing that you're not able to realize what everything around you, like what's going on around you and how you can improve your situation. And this is really giving us a moment that, to do exactly Judd. that. So uh, I'm going to sum up uh, how you, the three points that you said, how we're going to grow. So you say that the isolation is going to make us more uh, aware of the importance of our relationships and how important social interaction is and really appreciate that. I love that, um, that we have a pause which is going to help reduce our anxiety by really kind of practicing self-care and um, working to make our lives better. And then it's a time that we can reflect, which uh, can even, even, even with people who have um, experienced loss like you have, you can reflect on that and sitting with it really can help you turn it into a gift. Um, and, and you can grow from that. I mean, here's the bottom line. Um, there's, there's this term, it's called post-traumatic growth. We grow through difficulty. We literally do. That's that. In fact, that's the majority of our growth is through challenges, roadblocks, even pain and suffering. So you can translate that into the COVID-19 experience. We are going to grow through this. And it is really that brings me back to this tremendous opportunity that we have. Like we can create right now the world that we want to live in. What does it look like? And of course, you know, I'm going to say we can choose love. We can choose love and we can create the world that we want to live in. We, we can't always choose what happens to us. This is kind of the foundational uh, lesson that we have in Choose Love. The foundational lesson really that we have in the Choose Love movement is that we can't always choose what happens to us in life. And of course, we certainly wouldn't have chosen COVID-19, but we can take our personal power back in how we choose to thoughtfully respond. And when we thoughtfully respond with love, which is kindness, caring, concern, compassion, civility, we make the world a better place. When we react with prolonged anger, hatred, revenge, we give our personal power away. We become victims, which is the definition of loss of control. It it doesn't feel good and it perpetuates the negative. So we have this huge opportunity right now. I mean, COVID-19 brought you to us, Judd, because you saw the opportunity as well and said, this is the time. This is, I believe in this. This is what I, I want to help create. Um, and we so appreciate you. Judd is a Choose Love Youth Ambassador. I don't know if I said that in the beginning, but um, he's helping us uh, spread this message. And uh, it is, it's so vitally important. I don't know. I can't think of a more important message to spread. So, Judd, do you have any final um, thoughts that you'd like to share with 
our listeners before we sign off? Um, you know, I think that I would just say that this is a really hard time and, you know, for plenty of people, there are reasons to believe that this is, you know, the death of, you know, our social realm and our, our, you know, beliefs. But I think that, you know, what we all need to realize is that there are positive to this that's going to help us in the long run. And it's going to help us realize how to be the best people that we can. And I think that this has kind of been a gift that, you know, while it's, you know, it's, it's definitely hard to call COVID a gift to somebody who's been furloughed, but, you know, I think that despite that, we're all going to learn how to be better people. And this is going to, we're going to come out of this challenge on the other end. That's the gift. The gift is that we can use this time to learn how to be better people and to create a better world. And we start, it's the solution is within us. It's not out there. It's inside of us. And uh, that is beautiful. And that's a beautiful way to, uh, to, to draw this podcast to a close. Judd, thank you so much for being on with us, for sharing your thoughts and worldview from a teenager perspective. We are so blessed to have you as a Choose Love Movement ambassador. And uh, thank you so much. I look forward to creating the world that we want to live in together, right? Yeah. So, and thank you all for listening and thank you all for choosing love until next time. It's all part of us. We can all choose love. It'll lift you up if you let it in. Let the healing begin. Thanks for listening to the Choose Love podcast. Our positive, empowering messaging is reaching millions of people all over the planet. Join the worldwide movement to choose love. Our programming is in over 10,000 schools, homes, and communities across the country, in every state, and over 112 countries and counting. We're giving individuals of all ages the essential life skills they need to flourish. You can be part of the solution, too. We have sponsorship opportunities available that help support us and enable you to share in helping create a safer, more peaceful, and loving world. Contact me on our website, chooselovemovement.org.